Today I'm going to preach from a passage that lists out five specific moms. And these moms are in the lineage of Jesus. And But understand, just because I'm preaching about moms today or about these five particular moms doesn't mean that this message is just for mothers. It is applicable to all. No different than if I preach about a man or if I preach about a father, it is applicable to all of us. So I'm going to read one verse of Scripture today, Matthew 1.1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. I want to preach today for or from this idea, notable women, notable women. If you go to college, you frequently will have to take a statistics course. I went to a Bible college and learning about theology and learning about uh, various uh, books of the Bible and studying various theologies. And, and I, there was some gen ed stuff that I did in various places, but I, didn't, I never took a statistics class. But statistics are used all of the time in various ways. And statistics can determine and tell you the probability of something happening in the future or the probability of something being true or of something happening. One of the statistics I read one time, though, it illustrates the fact that statistics can be used to justify almost anything. And the statistic was this, 100%. Look at your neighbor and tell them, 100%. Of everyone who eats carrots, dies. That's true. 100% of everybody who eats carrots dies. That's true for broccoli. 100% of everybody who eats broccoli has either died or will die. And you can use that to justify, I don't want to eat carrots or broccoli. I use that all the time to justify that. But that statistic ultimately has no meaning because 100% of anybody who eats anything is going to die. Everybody is going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so statistics don't always paint a picture. But oftentimes, statistics are used in looking at the trajectory of somebody's life or how someone's going to turn out, for instance... If you come from a line of people who are alcoholics, the likelihood of you being an alcoholic goes up significantly. The statistics say that if your family is alcoholics, then you will probably be an alcoholic. In fact, I use uh, an, an example of something like this not too long ago about a man who, named Max Jukes, who hundreds of his uh, people, his descendants, were prostitutes or murderers or in prison in various ways because he did not serve the Lord. And contrasted that with 
Jonathan Edwards who's, who served God and in his lineage were governors and lawyers and doctors and college presidents and a whole lot of different people who were a benefit to society because of the trajectory of their life based on what their father did. So statistics help us give an idea of where people are going and where people are headed. However, when you bring God into the equation and when you bring God into the picture, statistics go out the window because natural statistics can't, uh, can't account for what happens when a person encounters God. It, it can't uh, account for what's going to change in their life. It's not, it can't account for the fact that the trajectory of their life has changed and their destiny and their eternity is changed because they meet Jesus and He comes into their life. And while this message is, especially for moms, it is, as I mentioned, the principles are for all of us together today. In this lineage of Jesus, and I'm going to hurry, we see five women who are mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. Mostly it's all men. And in in a typical Jewish lineage, you would never see a woman mentioned. It is almost always exclusively, exclusively just the man that Noah begat Shem and Shem begat. And you get to reading these and it's all men and the generations that are going forth. But in the lineage of Jesus that Matthew lists out, he gives five women. The first of those is Tamar. Verse 3 of Matthew chapter 1 says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram. But it specifically brings in this idea and this person, Tamar, who was the mother of someone in the lineage of Jesus. Tamar, her story is not very well known by many people. And I won't go into the details, especially with younger kids in the room, but but Tamar was married to the son of Judah. Judah, the son of Jacob. One of the twelve sons of Jacob who would become the twelve tribes of Israel. And Tamar is married to one of his sons. And his son... Her husband passes away and custom in those days was this, is that if your husband passed away, then his brother would then become your husband so that you could continue the family lineage. Well, her husband's brother was young and Judah, her father-in-law, chose not to give his son to her in marriage when he became of age. And so Tamar takes matters into her own hands and ultimately seduces Judah privately where he doesn't even know who she is and she conceives a child and it continues the lineage of Judah. Understand that what Tamar did was not condoned by God. Understand that what she did was not acceptable in the eyes of God. And understand that what she did was, has never been condoned as something 
that is appropriate. But the Bible says that she was part of the lineage of the Messiah. That she was part of the lineage of Jesus who was going to come. She who was a transgressor becomes part of the covenant of God's people and becomes part of the promises of God. And she is listed in the Gospel of Matthew. The second lady that is listed in the lineage of Jesus. Verse 5, Rahab. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab, if you know her story, she is in Jericho. This great city, Jericho, that's in the promised land that that God is telling His people to go into the promised land and they're to wipe out Jericho. If you're familiar with the story, two spies are sent in to the city of Jericho to spy it out and they are discovered that they, the people of Jericho figure out that the Israelites have sent spies and so they began to look for these two men. They make their way as they're trying to escape to the house of Rahab. She is just like everybody else in Jericho, except for one thing. She has heard the stories of the God of Israel. She has heard the stories of what their God has done as they are coming into the land. And she decides that what she has heard about their God is true. And that what their God has done in other places, He will do there. And she hides these two men. And she tells them, all I ask is this. It's that when you come to destroy the city that you make sure that I'm saved. The two spies agree to this hanging the scarlet thread out the window and that when all of Jericho is destroyed, Rahab's house, which is built on the wall, still stands. And she becomes a follower of the God of the Jews. And she becomes part of the covenant She's an immoral woman. She's been a pagan. She's been an idol worshiper up until this point. But she comes to a place of faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because of that, she is in the lineage of Jesus. The third woman who is mentioned here, that same verse, the second half of verse 5. Boaz, the son of Rahab, was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth, she was a Moabitess. She was from the land of Moab. Once again, Moab, they're not followers of the God of the Jews. They're not followers of the God of the Old Testament. They are idol worshipers. They are pagan. They are, for all intents and purposes, far from God. But when a famine strikes Israel... And this family leaves Israel and goes into Moab where things are better. One of the boys marries Ruth. And then he dies. And then his father-in-law, or his father dies and his brother dies. And it is now just Naomi and Ruth. The other daughter-in-law She decides to go back to her people and go back to her family. But when Ruth is is given the option of 
going back to her family or staying with Naomi, her mother, who was a follower of God. She says, wherever you go, I will go. And your God will be my God. And Ruth, who is from Moab, and Ruth, who is a Moabitess, and Ruth, who has been an idol worshiper, she then goes back with Naomi to the land of Israel. And she is redeemed by the kinsman redeemer Boaz, and she is in the lineage of Jesus. She wasn't raised knowing truth. She wasn't raised knowing the God of the Old Testament, but she chooses to follow Him. The fourth woman who is mentioned is Bathsheba. Verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And once again, I will not be overly explicit, but if you know the story of Bathsheba, while David should be out in battle, he stays back from battle and he is in the palace And he is up in a high place and he looks out and he sees Bathsheba doing her monthly ritual purification. And he calls for Bathsheba to come to the palace. Keep in mind, she's married to another man. She's married to somebody else. David is the king and he summons her. And whether it is on her part adultery because she chooses to do it, Or she is the victim of rape because he's the king and she can't say no. Either way, whether a victim or a sinner, she is the mother of Solomon who would be king over Israel that would be part of the lineage of Jesus. It ends the last woman in the story verse 16 Jacob was the father of Joseph the husband of Mary and Mary gave birth to Jesus who is called the Messiah the Bible would say of Mary in Luke 1.38 that she was a godly woman that she served God that she followed God and Unlike these others, she wasn't a victim. She wasn't an idol worshiper. She wasn't a follower of false gods. She is in the lineage of Jesus. But ultimately, it doesn't matter if she was godly all of her life or whether they were a pagan or whether they were a victim or whether they were a sinner. All had to come to a point of faith in God and become part of the covenant relationship with Him. That all of these women, different backgrounds, different stories, different ethnicities or races, they all came into a relationship with the God of the Old Testament. So women of every background from strangers or people that are far from God to women who are part of God's people can experience the covenant relationship with God. Women of every experience, whether victim or sinner or backslider or faithful saint, can be part of the covenant relationship with God. All of them obtain mercy. And all of the 
people in this room can obtain mercy from God regardless of what your background is, regardless of where you come from, regardless of, of what has happened in your life. Everyone in this room can be part of the covenant relationship with God. All five of these women, despite their background, were honored as notable women because they submitted themselves to God. They chose to follow God. We thank God today for faithful, godly women, wives and mothers, people like Mary, who have always followed the Lord. People like Sister Hill, 58 years she's been serving Jesus. We're thankful also for those who may have fallen into sin. You were raised around church and you left, but you've come back into a relationship with Him. And we're thankful for those with little or no spiritual heritage who came to God. And maybe it's only been in the last few months or the last few years that you developed a relationship with Jesus Christ. It really doesn't matter where you come from. All that matters is are you in a covenant relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you're thankful that you can be in relationship with Him, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? And I would tell you, if you have a godly mother today, thank God for her and honor her. But here's why I brought in statistics earlier. Statistics would tell you that the majority of people who come to faith in Jesus Christ do so before the age of 12. Which means that if you bring your kids to the house of God at an early age, they're more likely to follow Jesus. But that also means that if you weren't brought to the house of God when you were a child, then you're less likely to follow Jesus today. But I would tell you that when Jesus comes into the equation, your past doesn't determine your future. That you can leave your past behind and you can lean into your future with Jesus. Your past doesn't have to determine where you're headed. Your past doesn't have to determine your present. With Jesus, everything changes. That no matter how difficult and no matter how tragic and no matter how bad, God has a plan for you. God wants you in His kingdom, and God wants you to excel in His kingdom. God is stronger than your past. Anybody believe that? That God is stronger than your past? It doesn't matter what kind of parents you had. It doesn't matter what kind of background you have. It doesn't matter what you've done. God is stronger than your past. He is a God who delivers. He is a God who saves. He is a God who wants you to be in his kingdom for eternity. So while I've used mothers and endeavoring to get through this quickly today, understand that this message is for everyone in this room. Just in Sunday school today, I we were talking about sharing the gospel and I mentioned the fact that I was raised in church 
all of my life. 1953, I believe it is, my grandparents heard the Acts 238 message. 1957, the age of seven, my dad received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 1972, when I came along, I was just raised around this. I can never remember a time in my life when I wasn't around church. I don't remember a time ever when my parents didn't take me to church. But what I would tell you is this, it doesn't matter if you were taken to church as a child or whether you came to the church for the first time in your 30s or 40s or 50s, God can still save. God can still change your destiny and still change your life. Would you stand together today? My call to you today is this to understand that regardless of your background that you can become a part of God's plan that regardless of where you came from regardless of how old you were when you came around church and you first were introduced to Jesus you can become a part of his plan that you can be a person of note in his kingdom because He cares about you and He can change your destiny. It's 11.58. been preaching for 21 minutes. Probably the shortest sermon I've ever preached here. But I have a two-fold call to action for you today. If need be, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not clear on your relationship with Him, and come around the front of this building and repent. Make a decision to forsake your sin and make a decision to follow Jesus. Make a decision to put Him first in your life. But if you've already done all of that, then I want you just to come to the realization and understanding that God can use you. God can do something great in your life. It doesn't have to be, I'm saved and I just come to church once a week. But God can use you to do great things in His kingdom. God can use you beyond your imagination and beyond your wildest dreams. All it takes is consecrating yourself to Him. And so whether it's repentance or consecration, I'm going to invite you just for a couple of minutes to come around the front of this this building. And would you just dedicate yourself to Jesus right now? Come on, would you gather around and do that right now? God, we give ourselves to You, Jesus. We give ourselves to you, Jesus.